All right, it's a Wednesday edition of Locked On Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. Make sure to follow Locked On Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get podcasts for episodes every day, Monday through Friday. Coming up, we have a crossover episode between Locked On Warriors and Locked On Lakers. Really just a conversation breaking down tonight's play-in game. We get into some of the key storylines, matchups, and predictions. But first, this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and follow me at WC Goldberg to be notified when my live recordings of Locked On Warriors goes live. I will be going live noon on Thursday, either reacting to the Warriors' win over the Lakers or breaking down... Uh, a potential Friday game against either Memphis or San Antonio. So join on Locker Room. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's here, Andy, the play-in game. Uh, it is here, the Lakers versus the Warriors, Wednesday night at Staples Center, 7 o'clock. Um, and joining us right now to preview the thing, uh, we're just going to jump right into it. Wes Goldberg hosts the Locked on Warriors podcast, Locked on NBA on Tuesdays, of course, covers the Warriors for uh, the Mercury News. So much that we want to uh, get into over the course of today's show, previewing the game. Do want to let you know that the episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join us on Friday at noon Pacific to get in on the conversation. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Uh, first of all, Wes, hi. How are you? Nice to nice to see you. I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. Um, Absolutely, man. This is a, a big... This I'm so is, excited. I'm not saying that the league planned it this way, but I'm going to say the league is patting <laughs> themselves on the back that however this ended up happening, it did because, my God, you could not get a better 7-8 play-in game for the inaugural true play-in kickoff right. than well, this. We, we know Solomon Hill chases the money, right? We know this based on you know <laughs> that contract he signed in 2016, 15, whatever it was. So how much did they pay him to roll into LeBron? If Solomon Hill is working in the league offices next year, we will know the fixes in. <laughs> He's got the Udonis Haslam style uh, deal set up. I mean, Solomon I, Hill is Adam Silver's like right hand man. Oh, it's perfect. Solomon Nobody would have expected it. We need you to come to New York. We have a very special request <laughs> to make of you. Um, obviously, you know, Andy talks about it like, you know, LeBron James versus Steph Curry in a quasi winner go home kind of, uh, of setup um, is basically everything the NBA could have wanted. Um, and we talked about this yesterday with the, uh, the light years guys uh, on, on locked on Lakers. Like there was a, an alternate universe somewhere where I guess clay doesn't get hurt. And it's LeBron versus Steph and Clay and AD and all this stuff that's happening in the Western Conference Finals. Instead, we get it now. The Warriors are one of the few teams, I think, that have been kind of as kind of chaotic in a lot of ways as the Lakers. I mean, the lineups are changing. People are in and out of lineups and guys gone for the season and this and that. What has changed, though, with Golden State from when they were 24 and 28, I think it was, to that to, to now? with how they're playing on the floor, who's playing well, and all that beyond just Steph has gone nuclear? Uh, it's been a little bit of addition by subtraction. The key inflection point day in the Warriors season was April 10th. And it was on that day that they no longer had James Wiseman, who was out for the rest of the season with a knee injury, and then Kelly Oubre uh, the day before injured his wrist and was ruled out for uh, about two weeks. He ended up coming back for five games and then re-aggravated that injury, and then that was it. So... 
those two guys are, I think, fine players in a vacuum and in their own right, but just weren't the right fit for what the Warriors wanted to do. And the Warriors were trying to kind of thread this needle of let's develop James Wiseman over here. Let's try to get the most out of Kelly Oubre, who's costing us $60 million in luxury tax dollars over here. Uh, while none of them were the right fit. And once one of the, once those guys went down with those injuries, it kind of removed the thread from the needle. They never had, they didn't have to do it anymore. And they could just lean into what, uh, made Steph and Draymond so successful over the last few years, which was small ball lineups, a lot of versatility, a lot of switching, a lot of shooting on the floor and things like that. So it just, everything sort of clicked into the place when those guys went down and, um, and now you have them with Kevon Looney as in the starting lineup. Like it's helped that he's had quietly his best regular season and he's healthy. You just got now uh, a rotation that's sort of smoothed out, right? You don't really have any weak points in that lineup. You don't have a ton of strengths, right? Like it's Steph Curry and Draymond Green and a bunch of role players, but you don't have any places that other teams can sort of poke at for 48 minutes and exploit anymore. The, the last like month and a half, Wes, Steph has gone absolutely just bonkers. I mean, e- even by the standards of what we've seen from Steph in the past, he he's just hit this level. How did that end up happening? Yeah. Like it, like in terms of things that are different than in the past or is it just a matter of Steph seeing where they were in the season being like It's like 37 no more- points a game, right? Over the last yeah, 10 games. It, yeah. it's insane. He's been unbelievable. Like is it a matter of, you know, something different schematically or just him being like, "All right, we got a month and a half no more bleeping around." It's two things, guys. I mean, it first first of all, uh, and I wrote about this earlier in the season, he went into uh, this last summer with his trainer, Brandon Payne. Let's remember, for the, the Lakers, it was the shortest offseason ever. For the Warriors, it was the longest offseason ever. So Steph had a lot of time. Let's remember, he had coming off of a broken right hand last year, had a lot of time to rehab, recuperate, and then train his body. And that's what he did. And um, his trainer, Brandon Payne, told me that basically they went into the offseason – not knowing, like everybody, when the season was going to start. So they stayed in game shape, like for the entire offseason, just in case the, you know, Adam Silver, you know, pushed the button, was like, hey, let's go play. Um, and and he added about five pounds of muscle, um, did a lot of like core strength and all this stuff. And that's why you see him finishing at the rim better, right? This year, he's got a lot more body control at the basket. I mean, his percentages at the basket are better than 60%. I mean, he's shooting there like a center, it's unbelievable. He is uh, a, he is an amazing finisher. I mean, I think Kyrie is the best finisher I've ever seen at that size. But yeah. Steph is right up there. He's what he's doing this year, absolutely. And and you wouldn't have said that before, right? Like, but right now, absolutely. And his floater game, he's just got everything. He's got so much body control going. He looks so sturdy in the paint, uh, which is pretty remarkable for somebody his size. And then you have, like I was saying before, like James Wiseman. There's like a lot of like, okay, do we want to run like high pick and roll all the time, which is not Steve Kerr's, you know, thing. When you take him out and then you have Kevon Looney in there, Draymond Green gets a lot of credit, rightly so, for being a great screener and two-man game with Steph. But Kevon Looney is just as good, I mean, not just as good, but very close to it, where he's got a great cadence and rhythm with Steph. And so you've got two guys now on the floor who just know when where Steph wants to be, when he wants to shoot it, when he wants his screen set, when to flip the screen, when to all, do all that stuff. And now all of a sudden, Steph is playing with guys who know how to help him. Right. And so you've got all of that. And plus all of that other stuff now that he's fin- he's not just a three point shooter anymore, though. I hesitate to say that he ever was, but he's he's a three level scorer in a way that he never has been. And now he's got the supporting cast around him that is just basically unlocking him. I, you know, there's so much in this in this specific matchup that we want to get to. And if people haven't listened to your 
uh, preview episode um, that's up on Locked on Warriors right now. Really just some really great numbers that break down what to look for in tonight's game. But before we get to some of that, like I was listening to, again, to LeBron talk up Steph for yeah. MVP, which was interesting. And, you know, obviously the tampering charges, all the fun stuff that goes along with it. But I also found that I feel like there's a little bit of projection in there. Um, a lot of what LeBron is sticking up for Steph for is stuff that I think he feels he gets, uh, crit, whether it's criticism or doubters or whatever it might be, in terms of you know he's on the decline or he can't lift this team or he can't lift that team or whatever it might be. For Steph personally, though, how much do you think this year has been kind of personal? Uh, to answer some of those questions and some of the yeah. criticisms that, I mean, I think, frankly, are kind of ridiculous, but they're out there. He kept saying, I don't know, it started about a month ago, he really wants the season to mean something. And I found that quote pretty remarkable and insightful into Steph's motivation, right? Um, the Warriors would never have admitted this at the beginning of the year, but the whole point of this season was to develop James Wiseman, right? Get him ready so that they can contribute next so he can contribute next year and they can make a run next year when Clay Thompson comes back. And in the you know their heart of hearts that was what the season was about. If you made the playoffs great and if you made some noise in the playoffs even better, but that's not really the point of this year. Once Wiseman went down, obviously his development was no longer a priority and and couldn't happen. So Steph at that point started saying, "Well, we want to make, make this season mean something." And 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 I think he takes this season very personally. Uh, cue Michael Jordan mean meme here, but uh, where <laughs> he has now the opportunity to say, Hey, all that stuff that was happening when I had to deal with this 19 year old who didn't know where he was and some of these other moving parts and my splash brother wasn't here, all that stuff. I don't have to deal with it anymore. Let me go show you that I can carry a team. I think that does mean something to him. And I think he proved this, like he proved that he can, right? I mean, I think we're at a point now, if you don't saddle, Steph Curry with like a bunch of dudes that just don't fit. He's kind of a walking top 10 offense. Cause that's what the Warriors have been, right? They like if, if offensive rating for the season is like 20th, but over the stretch where these best lineups are playing and they've got their guys, they're a top 10. I think they're eighth in offensive rating over the last 20 games. Uh, that's kind of what you've seen guys like James Harden do like LeBron James do where if you have them and you just put the right guys around them, they don't have to be superstars, but just the guys that fit, then you've got, one of the top offenses in the league. And, uh, and I think that's what you're seeing from Steph really for the first time of his career. Uh, okay. there We're going to get into a lot of the matchups and the way the game itself may break down West, but I, I want to stay on this topic of Steph and, you know, the MVP candidacy, because I, I think it's really interesting the way he's being talked up by a lot of media, by a lot of fans, despite the, the la relative lack of success this team has had and, and what that sort of says about, either Steph or the way we see basketball sort of at large now versus maybe five, 10 years ago. Get into that coming up next. Support for today's show comes from Locker Room. It's time to get in on Locker Room, the live audio-only sports talk platform where you can talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, plus me. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. As you know, I've been using Locker Room this season to record this podcast several times a week, sort of like an old-school sports radio call-in show, but easier than ever to join, hang out, and talk. Locker Room is a free, audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, and I'll be hosting a room on 
Thursday at noon, either reacting to this win, maybe, against the Lakers, or previewing a potential game on Friday against Memphis or San Antonio, hitting all the nuts and bolts, getting to you guys freaking out or maybe getting excited about a potential first-round matchup. So make sure to follow me at WC Goldberg. Turn those notifications on. Come through when my room goes live. You'll be notified when it goes live. And I'm telling you right now, noon on Thursday. So download the app free on the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter account, and then join the Warriors or NBA group. Follow me at WC Goldberg to be notified when my room goes live. Going live Thursday at noon on Locker Room. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Okay, so we were talking before about Steph and his MVP candidacy, and you know LeBron has been talking him up. He has been increasingly gaining steam as a legitimate candidate at this point i think he's going to end up finishing third which would be pretty amazing for a team that theoretically could miss the playoffs and it's it's the most love i've seen for a player in this type of situation either since i've been covering the nba or playing or paying really close attention the closest comp i can think of is russ maybe winning when his team Mm -hmm. was in sixth but still that's higher than possibly not in the playoffs. And either way, there's not a lot of comps. With that in mind, do you think this year with Steph potentially represents a shift? Like with voters being more open-minded towards pure performance and what a, you know what a player means to a team as opposed to just best team, best player, or wins? Or is this like more of a case of Steph being singularly incredible, but also singularly likable, a singular personality, a, a really yeah, interesting the way, story the way, of this season. The way Steph yes. performs yeah. is so appealing. And the and the 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 style and you know the shooting and the 57 footers and all that stuff. It is incredibly fun basketball to watch. Um I don't think if, if we're betting on voters being suddenly more open minded, I would bet against that. That doesn't strike me to be you know the case here. I think what it is is that it's just Steph Curry and a lot of Warriors games are on national television and and a lot of guys dropped out of the race, you know, and I don't mean to take anything away from Steph. Right. But like LeBron seemed like the presumptive MVP and then he got hurt. Right. Um, Luka Doncic was in there and, and now he's probably somewhere around fifth. Uh, Damian Lillard somewhere around fifth. Chris Paul around fifth. Uh, and those are teams that are having some success. You've got Nikola Jokic, obviously, who's going to run away and win this thing. Giannis. You could argue that he deserves it just like he did last year, but nobody's going to make him the, the a third straight MVP. And by the way, they shouldn't until he wins in the playoffs. I know it's a regular season award, but I don't care. Uh, he doesn't get to win three straight. Um, Joel wow. Embiid missed a lot of Go games. Go ahead and add him. Heard Matt it. Wes. Add him. I had to sneak that take in there. Um, I think that Steph should be somewhere between two and four. I think I think you're right. I think he's going to end up at three, but I do think a lot of people are penciling in Joel Embiid at number two just because he's been there for so long. But Steph is going to end up playing 600 more minutes than him, and there is an argument to be made that if you want to do the whole "what do you mean to your team" argument, Steph certainly means more, I guess, to Joel Embiid. I don't know. Joel Embiid is what makes the 76ers a legit title contender, so you can have that argument. But I, I, I wouldn't. If anybody wanted to put Steph second on their ballot, I wouldn't fault them. Even though if I had a ballot, I'd probably still put Embiid second. But I, I think two through four are pretty flexible. It, it's interesting, it's, though, because yeah. I, like in, in thinking about comps with Steph, and I, and I want to make it clear, I have no issue whatsoever if somebody has Steph you know, finishing third. I, I don't have a real problem. 
I think in, I think uh, Jokic is really the MVP, but ultimately yeah. I don't get that caught up in this stuff. I think as long as somebody is a worthy candidate to mention, I, I think that's fine. But what strikes me about this that's interesting with Steph is it, it made me think about Kobe in 2006. And, you know, that team ended up, I believe, sixth uh, in the Pacific and uh, or sixth, I'm sorry, in the West. And Kobe finished fourth overall. And what was really fascinating about that is he got more first place votes than anybody other than Nash who ended up winning it. But he was actually left off some ballots, Mm -hmm. which in retrospect was just negligence and, you know, frankly, awful work by those voters. I mean, you could not make a case that Kobe was not in the top five that year. I think, I right. think very possibly I, personal. Very, very, very personal. You know, I mean, between Kobe's personality, not being too far removed from Colorado, the perception of still the ball hog who broke right. up the three-peat era, all, all of that stuff. And and probably for some people, the idea of his team is in sixth. And it, it just got me wondering if like back then, even a season like Steph, with Steph being as likable and, and pretty bulletproof as a player, whether you could have gotten past the idea that his team was an eight seed in order for him to get these type of votes. And I, ju- I just found it really interesting because, again, the idea of leaving Kobe off your ballot, yeah. even if you weren't going to vote him for MVP, that just seems incredibly irresponsible. And it, and it doesn't feel as likely an event as what we'd see now. You can go back to Dwayne Wade. This is my personal comp because I grew up a, a Miami Heat fan. You can go back to Dwayne Wade, 2008, winning the scoring title. Not even talked about in the MVP conversation. Not even talked about because he wasn't on a title contender. His team didn't win enough. I think that there's certainly a point. And if if you're a bitter Lakers fan or a bitter Heat fan that remembers, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, their guys getting screwed. Yeah, go be bitter. I have no problem with it. Maybe you're right. Maybe the maybe voters have gotten a little bit more open-minded. I think that the NBA, by the way, has gotten more open-minded with who they give votes to. I don't think that that can't that that has to be uh, mm-hmm. talked about. Um, but uh, I, you know. With what Steph is doing this year, just because those guys got screwed doesn't mean that Steph should also get screwed. Like, two wrongs don't make a right, right? right? And, and I think that in, in, in any real argument, uh, I think that he should be on, on in the top five. Yeah. It's, it's no such question. a rare year, too, yeah. where you look at the top C. I mean, there's Embiid, but after you get past him, you can't really take any of the guys on Brooklyn because too many no. of them have, have missed time. Uh, there's nobody on Utah that you would look at as a as an MVP candidate, and they're the top seed in the West. By the way, you know all the the, with the the analytics and metrics point to them as the best team in the conference all year long by a mile. But there's still nobody you would say is a is a is an a guy you'd even put in that conversation. LeBron got hurt; otherwise, the Lakers would have been there. Maybe Anthony Davis ends up like there's nobody right. in those ties, and nobody wants to give the award to Giannis. So. It, it, it's a fascinating year because I always look at it, and we, we can move on after this. I always look at it like, what the hell else was Steph supposed to do? Like right. the team, what they finish thirty nine and thirty three, I believe, correct? Yep. yep. Like, what on earth more was he supposed to do to get that team to be six games over five hundred than all the stuff that he did? And, and he's got a narrative too, right? Like, first of all, people know what Steph is. So even if you don't watch Steph on a nightly basis, right. you kind of know what he's doing, right? And so there's a familiarity with him. Um, he hasn't won it in a while. Kevin Durant's not there. Hasn't been there for a couple of years. Clay Thompson goes down. The narrative is there. Plus, like that that set. Like if they were thirty nine and thirty three and just sort of hovering around that all year long, maybe you take stuff a little bit less seriously. But because they ended up finishing the year fifteen and five and had a surge, even because they were garbage basically at the start of the year, it helped Steph's 
case that they were better at the end of the year. Um, and so there's definitely a narrative drive to it too that's helping stuff. All right. Um, so that's that's the storylines. Those are the storylines that go around this game. Um, next, let's get into the matchups because, like I mentioned, you have a great show uh, up at Locked On Warriors that really gets into a lot of important matchups, a lot of important numbers that could play into tonight's game. Um, and so we want to dive into that, and we will do that next. Locked on Lakers. It's also brought to you by Built Bar. Uh, Wes, you don't, probably don't know this about me. We're, we we basically just met. I snack. I'm a snacker, Wes. I'm not afraid to talk about it. Um, but if you are, are you a snacker? Do you snack? I He's snack holding a Built Bar. I snack every day at four o'clock. Wow. So not only are you a snacker, you're like I'm a, oddly I'm a, routinized in, in I'm a routine a snacker. It's the only thing about my way. day. It's the only thing about my day is routine. Coffee at two o'clock and a snack at four o'clock. If you end up, by the way, having to eat during the show, we understand. We don't want to throw you off your routine. It's we will not be offended because we're we are closing in on four o'clock snack time yeah. for Yeah. Well, no, I I hate mouth noises on podcasts, so that's a big no no for me. I actually okay. hosted a show called Mouth Noises. Anyway. <laughs> um the uh, but anyway, like so, West knows it's built bar. If you're a snacker, you got to eat the built bar. It's high in protein but low in sugar and calories. The improved built bar, even more delicious than before. 18 flavors, including six new ones. My favorite being cookies and cream. Uh, built bar can also calm my sweet tooth because even without all the sugar, it's still coated in 100% chocolate. And as West will tell you, it tastes good. It actually is soft and easy to chew, unlike other protein bars. So go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you get 15% off. Off your next order again use the promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built bar and you too can snack at four o'clock every day like wes locked on lakers also brought to you by bet online bet online the fastest easiest way to bet on all your sports action baseball season in full swing you can track all the action at bet online there's always tons of sports action on the go including these play-in games which we've been talking about. If you can find a prop bet for Steph and points, I would take the over. Get all the latest news, odds, info for your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop, mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as your teams prep for their run to the playoffs. Head to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So, Wes, um, one of the things that I think is, is kind of fascinating about this game is we spend a ton of time focused on uh, the, the stars. It's Anthony Davis, it's LeBron James, it's Steph Curry, transcendent players, transcendent scorers um, in the NBA. And, you know, you mentioned it. Steph has when Steph is is cooking over the last you know month or so, Golden State has been a a top ten offense, and the Lakers have had moments where they've been really good on that side of the ball too. But most of the success of these teams, at least from my perspective, is actually based on defense. And so when you look at this matchup, which team do you think is better equipped to score against the other, hmm. and why? Because it's really defenses that have been yeah. carrying. Uh, you know, really, you know, kind of pushing the performance for both Golden State and the Lakers. I think the Lakers are better equipped only because they have more gears that they can hit defensively, right? Like they, if worse comes to worst, they can just shift with Anthony Davis at the five and blow all up, blow up everything that the Warriors want to do on offense. Cause the Warriors basically have to play small, right? Like they have one traditional center 
Kevon Looney, and that's a very generous term given that he's six foot eight, six foot nine. Uh, the Lakers have what five guys bigger than that on their team, uh, so <laughs> at least um, that that's going to be a problem. So the Warriors are going to try to get out quickly and and play fast and play up tempo and and get the Lakers to play their speed. And the Lakers will try, I think, to slow the game down and just basically rebound their way to a win. But if that doesn't work. I think Frank Vogel has enough of a, pull, uh, f- a finger on the pulse where he's going to be able to say, all right, let's just put Anthony Davis at center, call it a day, and just and just whoop this team. And I think ultimately that's what they can do because when you have LeBron, I mean, he's got all the size and everything, but w- to see him against the Pelicans in that game, I mean, he looked just as fast as ever. He was sprinting the floor in transition. I was, I was, su- I can't believe I'm still surprised by anything LeBron does, but I was surprised by how fast he looked. And when he's got that level of speed, okay, well, then the Warriors' speed doesn't really matter. But then he's obviously got all the size and stuff. I think what we're going to end up seeing is just a lot of LeBron hunting matchups in the pick and roll and 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 scoring on the Warriors, not at will, but relatively easily, as long as that ankle is okay and as long as his shot is falling uh, from the perimeter, I, I think that the Warriors are going to have a really hard time with him. And that's not even talking about Anthony Davis yet. Well, okay. With AD, I think uh, the anticipation, a lot of that is just going to be what can Draymond do individually, trying to slow down, uh, yeah. slow down AD. You know, at times will be Kevon Looney, or just can you pack the paint at times, whatever. But in terms of the Warriors going about trying to slow LeBron, because in a lot of ways, if you can make LeBron work, you're gonna you're gonna muck up the Lakers' offense because it's built entirely around him. Right. In theory, you, in theory, you can chip away at AD's effectiveness if you can chip away at LeBron. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. you can chip away at everybody's effectiveness if you can chip away at LeBron. How do you picture the Warriors doing that, and how successful do you think they can be at it? So the problem that the Warriors face is, I think you have basically three guys who can credibly guard LeBron. You've got Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Juan Descano Anderson. Um, Draymond Green is going to have his hands full with Anthony Davis. So you take one of those off the board. And Juan Descano Anderson, depending on how these, you know, what team plays what lineups and what players at what time, Juan Descano Anderson may have to be guarding uh, AD at, at some points too. I th- And you worry about like Steph Curry against LeBron. Anybody that watched the 2016 finals understands that. I think Steph, by the way, is a little bit better defensively than he was then, but still uh, it's LeBron. And then uh, you have Kent Bazemore, who they're going to try to throw at LeBron. And Kent Bazemore fouls more than any other perimeter player in the NBA, and that's not an exaggeration. That's a fact. That's a stat. Only uh, because and, Ben McLemore doesn't get enough playing time. That's but that's right. Carry on. Uh, and the last thing you want to do to LeBron is give him you know, trips to the free throw line, right? Like that's where his uh, butter is bread. So bread is buttered, or the butter is bread, either way. Um, I think that uh, – I think what the Warriors will end up trying to do – is we know that LeBron likes to seek ma- ma- uh, mismatches and pick and rolls and stuff. I think what they'll try to do is what they do with, what they did with Draymond Green against Anthony Davis in the first matchup is don't let them switch. Every time they try to hunt out a switch, just keep the assignment one on one. Keep Wiggins on LeBron. So what that's going to end up doing is Wiggins is going to have to fight over all these screens. LeBron's going to try to shake Wiggins loose, and Wiggins is going to have to chase him around the court. Now the flip side of that is the Warriors is that Wiggins is going to be using all of his energy doing that and might not be this 20-point-per-game scorer that he was over these last 20 games. It's been so tremendously helpful because the Lakers are going to double Steph Curry. They're going to put all their attention on Steph Curry, and then that's when Steph needs an outlet. And Andrew Wiggins, for so much of this season, the second half of the season, has been that outlet. You wonder if he's got enough energy 
to be the outlet. You would think, you know, Andrew Wiggins is very athletic. I mean, there's a lot of things that Andrew Wiggins isn't. One things that one thing that he certainly is athletic, energetic, durable. So, you know, I don't think it's out of the question that he'd be able to contribute on both ends, but it's going to be tough for him. It'd be nice to have Clay Thompson right now. <laughs> I mean, for a, for a lot of different reasons, but when you're talking about just schematically and just Steve Kerr talked about that the other day actually he said like what they are seeing from Wiggins right now if he's the perimeter stopper he's their only perimeter stopper um but you add him with Clay Thompson next year and they feel really good about what they have defensively we'll have this conversation before uh before next season but god I hope Clay can come back and look like Clay two season ending injuries in a row you just you don't know. You you talked about rebounding, like the, the possibility of the Lakers rebounding their way to a win. And obviously, you know, what we saw over the weekend was with LeBron and AD on the floor, suddenly Andre Drummond looked a lot more like what the Lakers hoped he would be. Now, look, the team as a whole was still a little, uh, a little raggedy. Uh, Andy and I talked about this a lot, which you would expect because the, they basically all just met each other. How have you know rebounding is not a strength of the Warriors? Um, Drummond, at least from our perspective, has been a little bit better, you know, higher out on the floor than either one of uh, either Andy or I expected. Do you think that the Warriors can play a guy like Drummond or somebody like Gasol, who's you know, offensively more of a perimeter guy? Could they play them off the floor pretty effectively? Keeping in mind that may not be the best solution because the Lakers with AD at the five are really good. But right. if Frank Vogel tries to use Drummond, how effective do you think Drummond can be with the Lakers going big, so to speak? I think he could be um, pretty effective. Kevon Looney's done a nice job of guarding guys who have been bigger than he did a nice job against Joel Embiid when they matched up earlier. Did a very good job against Nikola Jokic. I mean, he's small, but he's powerful. A lot of lower body strength. So, um, and he works hard and uh, uh, kind of doing his homework, so to speak, early in possessions, boxing out and things like that. Um, I, I'm not Andre Drummond's not the guy that worries me. Now, I, I could say that and all of, and then he grabs 20 offensive rebounds and whatever. But uh, the guy who actually I think is a, a matchup nightmare for these Warriors is Montrose Harrell, because even if the Warriors like the Warriors play with the third highest pace in the league, if he if they're trying to run up and down the floor and they're going to. Then Andre Drummond and Marcus Saul could, you know, lag behind the play and maybe it becomes a five on four situation. But Montrez Harrell, he can go right, he could run with them no problem. And and he does those, he's enough of a wild card that I think he could throw the Warriors off a little bit. Like he takes weird angles. You never really know what you're gonna get with him. He's got that in, like a little bit of a floater game that he tries to get to and every once or like a mid-range game. And when it's working, it's working. When it's not, it's not. But if it is working, that could throw like a wrench into everything that the Warriors want to do as far as far as trying to you know, play those centers off the floor. And uh, if the Lakers are, for whatever reason, hesitant to play Anthony Davis at the five, then they could always go with that option and play Montrezl Harrell. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw all three of the Lakers centers in this game because you guys are right. The Warriors are going to come out and they're going to start firing threes early in the shot clock, try to get long rebounds uh, going into the game and and just try to outrun the Warriors or outrun the Lakers. And they basically said that after practice today. They said the game plan doesn't change who's on the floor. Well, it, it's interesting to me, though, like the idea of the the Warriors looking to make this uh, a track meet, and I totally understand why, and I think it's what they should do, but the Lakers, to some degree, want to be running. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are at their best offensively by a mile when they are in transition. You know, ironically for the Warriors, in terms of the way they're constructed, 
in some ways you want the Lakers in a slowdown half court thing because their offense just doesn't function as well. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Steve Kerr looks for as kind of that sweet spot in getting getting what they want with pace, but maybe not too much of what they want. I think there's an understanding from the Warriors. Like the Warriors have been weirdly realistic about this team all season long. It gets really strange to hear a head coach say, We're not winning the championship this year, but Steve Kerr has said that multiple times. And it's true, they are not, but it's just weird to hear the coach say that. Um, I think they're I feel like they're they feel like they're playing with house money a little bit right now, where hey, look, the Lakers are the more talented team. We're playing them on their home court at Staples Center. And if we lose we got another chance on Friday against the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Who we just Are they pretty beat. confident that they, Antonio. you know, they just, you know, they, they, yeah. you know, literally just beat Memphis. Yeah. I and I wouldn't San Antonio's be, that and, good. And I think, yeah, if they, if it's San Antonio, if San Antonio somehow beats Memphis and I think they're feeling really good. Memphis, they're a really good team. They had a I tough agree. schedule in the second half. Yeah. I think beating them twice in a week is not something that the Warriors should take for granted. But uh, I do think that they, they have talked about that, that Sunday, Wednesday, potentially Friday stretches. We've got to win two out of three. That's what they keep talking about. Um, so as far as this Lakers matchup is concerned, I think you guys, you're right. Maybe in a seven-game series, you'd want to slow it down, see how you play against that kind of matchup, see what you can do. Can our, you know, can we box out and can our guards crash the glass? Is that something that we can realistically do to keep the rebound margin close? But in a one game, I think all you want to do is just crank the variance up to 11 and just say, hey, the Lakers are not a good three-point shooting team. We're one of the best. And if we can make 22 three-pointers in the game or something, then maybe we just you know, steal this one and then we can rest for a week or a half week until the playoffs start and then force the Lakers to win a game on Friday. All right. My last question for you, Wes, is is something Andy and I have pointed out. You pointed it out on your preview show. The Lakers have had a a pretty good level of success this year against Steph. You know, his his numbers are significantly lower in the three games against the Lakers uh, than than they are against everybody else. What do you think accounts for that? And how likely do you think the Lakers are going to be at replicating that success again tonight? Well, I just think it's what has made the Lakers so good defensively all year, right? This is the number one defense in the league for a reason. They have a ton of size and everything that we're talking about with Steph trying to get to the basket. Like the first thing on the scouting report with Steph is the three point shot, right? And what, but but what he really wants to get to is the rest of the floor. Like that three point shot is is a little bit of a bait and switch thing, right? Like that he'll he'll have his heat checks, he'll have his third quarter flurries and stuff like that. But he wants to get to the other parts of the floor too. And what the Lakers do just by their size and long limbs by crowding the paint that way is they kind of just take that away, and it forces Steph to work a little bit harder. Mm. And what the Lakers do defensively, I think, is really interesting because most teams. They have approached Steph in a, in a very, in one of two ways all year long, right? They've either designated one defender and say, "Hey, you don't let this guy out of your sight," whoever that might be, right? And they and they've done it that way, or they've just double or even triple teamed him as soon as he crosses half court with multiple defenders. The Lakers have done kind of both, right? Where you'll have Dennis Schroeder or Alex Caruso sort of chasing him around and play that and, and defend their position, and then with like ten seconds left in the shot clock, Frank Vogel will start blitzing him if if Steph has the ball in his hands. That's an interesting way to sort of crank up the pressure and make Steph settle for shots, and and I think not and you know not a lot of teams can do that. It really takes having the type of length and the type of defenders that the Lakers have in order to do that. So a lot of credit should go to Frank Vogel for that defense. It works against Steph. It's a way to just 
it's same with LeBron, right? Like you're never going to stop LeBron. You're never going to stop Steph. But if you can make things difficult, sometimes you just get lucky. Uh, last question from me. How ready do you think, Wes, the guys on this team not named Steph, Draymond, or I'll even throw in Kavon just because mm-hmm. he's been through some stuff, are for a moment like this, uh, you know, tonight where the, where the stakes are pretty high and, yeah. you know, it's it's – Playoff adjacent, and most the of the attention and the little, attention level is going to be through the roof. Right, and most right. of them have little to no playoff experience to draw on. It's one of the things, guys, that I am watching for the most, and I am so interested in because who really cares about this season if you're the Warriors? I think getting some playoff experience would obviously be helpful, but this is about next year and figuring mm-hmm. out which one of your guys can come back next year with Clay Thompson and everybody healthy, and and make some sort of push next year the way the Warriors hope that they can. Uh, guys like Juan Descano Anderson and Jordan Poole showed that they were gamers, right? Like they showed that they were up for it in that Sunday game. That was that they had to win against Memphis, right? You have to win that to get the A seed. And uh, they, they talked about that game, having a playoff type of atmosphere and they approached it like a playoff game, right? But you could say that you could say, Hey, this has a playoff atmosphere. This is a playoff game for us, but it isn't until it is right. And, I, I know I just got done praising the Grizzlies, but they're still young, and that's not a, a team with much playoff experience. The Lakers have it. The Lakers can dial in. Uh, and so it was a good warm-up, I think, for guys like Jordan Poole, who had a huge three-pointer at the end of the third quarter against against Memphis. Wanda Scott Anderson had a great game, a great floor game for them. But it's one thing to do it against them. It's another thing to do it against the Lakers, who have a ton of experience. It's one of the things I'm most intri- uh, intrigued to watch, not only in this game, but in a game potentially on Friday and potentially in a playoff series, because I think that could be ultimately the biggest development for the Warriors all season long to kind of go full circle on this, guys. For Steph, you keep saying, let's make this season mean something. That would be something that makes this season mean something. If you find that between Poole and Descano Anderson and whoever else, Andrew Wiggins, by the way, too, only has very little playoff experience. If those guys are gamers and ready to go and be 16-game players, not 82-game players. That's a huge development for the Warriors. Thanks to the guys on Locked On Lakers for having me. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked On Warriors wherever you listen to podcasts and Locked On Lakers. Please rate, review, and say nice things about the show. You can send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at WC Goldberg or email them to me at wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. Now get all of the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.